We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Roadwire Prospect Podcast. Uh, This is James Anderson, and it's just going to be a solo show today. Uh, As many of you know, probably, my top 400 prospect rankings just hit the site uh, Sunday, uh, aligning with the January 15th International Signing Day. I wanted to make sure those signings all became official so that I could add those guys to this massive update. Many months, uh, many hours of work went into this one. I'm, I'm really proud of it, and I definitely think uh, there's a lot there to to kind of uncover. Um, I've written about 250 or so outlooks of the players who are on that top 400. I haven't. There are some players, and I'll mention one. Um, I think during the podcast, but. Uh, like Quinn Priester's outlook, I didn't write. I think there are some other guys that are just sort of um, closer to the majors, more kind of boring type of guys that might have an outlook that I didn't write. But I wrote the, you know, I wrote like 98% of the, the prospect outlooks that are up there. Uh, the first year player draft board is done. Uh, I don't know if that's live on the site yet, but I did link to a version of it in my first year player draft blueprint article, which is live on the site right now. So uh, if you got a first-year player draft coming up, uh, that's where you want to go for that. Um, and then next week, I'm going to have the rookie tiers articles coming out. Uh, I'll do them by you know one article for pitchers, one article for hitters. Uh, so that's a good redraft tool. So really, couldn't be a better time to sign up for a Rotowire subscription. Uh, lots of content up there for you right now. Lots of fresh content and lots of uh, great content on the way, not just for myself, but from from the other great writers at the site. Uh, but let's jump into this mailbag. Um, again, I've, I've written the outlooks for the vast majority of guys that we'll be talking about. So if you want sort of uh, a more detailed written uh, version, you can, you can check those out. But I uh, got almost 70 questions from you guys. So um, this is probably going to be the longest solo pod I've, I've ever done. But uh, let's, uh, let's get into it. I uh, got lots of questions about what led to the... Uh, drop in rankings for Tink Hentz, who is now at 85, and Cody Morris, who is now at 95. Uh, I, I'm sure I probably turned many of you on to Hentz and Morris, so I get why you don't like seeing the double down arrows. But if it makes you feel any better, uh, neither guy did anything wrong. To like, They don't have double down arrows because of something they did wrong. Um, Hentz is not only the only pitcher in my top 100 who has never pitched at double A, 
but he hasn't even pitched at high A yet. So I guess you could kind of look at Hence being at 85 as this is the highest I feel comfortable having the best low-level pitching prospect in the game ranked. Uh, There's still just it's almost like how many how many innings does he still have to log before he's in the majors and how many different things could go wrong across that wide stretch of innings you know he he might get to double a this year uh but he's gonna open at high a it's just you know he he's he's multiple years away probably from joining the big league rotation so uh, that's why he's where he is but like i said he is the best pitching prospect who has zero experience at double A uh, with Cody Morris. He's so old. Uh, he's already 26 and he's going to be under an innings cap this season. And he lacks a clear rotation spot at the moment. I, I do think he's, he's probably going to look like one of their five best starting pitchers. Uh, if not in spring training, certainly early in the season, but you know, he probably can't handle, 160 innings this year uh and you know if he suffers another injury then we're behind the eight ball again um so stuff wise upside wise uh i think he he's great i wouldn't be surprised if i still have cody morris ranked higher than anyone at 95 but uh it's just it's kind of more contextual factors with morris uh bob may Wanted to wanted to know if I think Andy Rodriguez is going to keep catcher eligibility long term. Uh, I I do. Uh, he's not going to be a, a Gold Glove catcher back there, but uh, I think he's good enough to to keep getting starts there uh, year in year out. And really, the hope with Andy Rodriguez is that he is such a good hitter that the Pirates leave him in the lineup even on days when he's not catching. Uh, Toolsy asks uh, about Brian Rocchio. He notes that he has fallen a little and that I've been higher on him versus the consensus. And he wants me to elaborate Uh, with Rocchio kind of like with the, you know, some of these other guys, like I'm probably still the highest on Rocchio. Uh, I think he's in the thirties now. Uh, But, you know, for instance, well, first of all, he wasn't quite as good as I thought he'd be last season. Um, I thought he would be kind of, really making noise to the point of like, this guy's clearly ready for the majors. Uh, wasn't quite like that. And, you know, I think it's, it's worthwhile to maybe compare him to someone like Os- Oswald Peraza with the Yankees where uh, they're, they're really pretty similar prospects in my mind, but Peraza had the better season. He already reached the majors. So I think like having a guy like that over Rokio uh, is, is kind of a given and then there were just a you know handful of other guys that I just thought um, were kind of pushing up uh, more than Rokio pushing down. Uh, but again, like I, I'm still high on him. It's not like I moved Rokio outside the top fifty or anything like that. And so he might still be a good buy low, um, depending on how his manager is valuing him right now. Uh, it's also just a really crowded situation there in Cleveland. Uh, you know, Ahmed Rosario is not going to be there forever, but. Uh, I don't think Rokio is going to be sliding into everyday playing time in June or July, uh, even though he might kind of be ready to. Uh, Toolsy asked if I am not expecting a bounce back from Nick York, uh, who is down 
I believe around 90th overall. Um, Nick York is a, is a very tough rank. I think deep down, I still really believe in the hit tool, but I'm a little bit worried about the power. And I am also kind of wondering if I maybe underrated how easy the lower levels are playing back when he did what he did in 2021. I think there's countless examples of guys just mashing at single A and high A and then uh, kind of hitting a wall just because it's it's so much easier to put up monster numbers uh, down in those levels. And obviously he was dealing with injuries last year. Uh, I covered all this in his outlook, so I definitely recommend checking that out. But essentially he's, he's kind of a DH uh, who might play some second base, but uh, he really needs to hit. And so, I mean, you could almost look at this as kind of a, a make or break year for Nick York, even though he is so young. Like if he has a repeat of last season, it's just going to be hard to believe in him hitting enough uh, given his defensive deficiencies. But I, I do still believe in the hit tool, but it has to be plus. It really does. Uh, and then the power has to be, you know, average to above average at least. Uh, cheese beef, Chaz beef uh, asks if any Dominican summer league guys, if there are any Dominican summer league guys uh, I'm buying with an assignment to single A to open the year. So this would be kind of along the lines of uh, Jackson Churio uh, last year. Uh, the big one to keep an eye on is Josue DePaula. Uh, that's J-O-S-U-E, DePaula, with the Dodgers. Uh, I'm not predicting it, uh, but people would really freak out if that happened. Uh, he might be talented enough to, to pull it off. He does uh, speak English. Um, the cousin of Stefan Marbury. Um, just had a monster year in the DSL, super toolsy, advanced approach. Uh, if one guy did get that push, I think it would be DePaul. And he's in my top 100 now. All right, Richard Sands uh, asks, who are the three best international signees this year? Uh, my three favorites are Felnin Celestin, with the Mariners, Ethan Salas with the Padres, and Emmanuel Benilla with the uh, Blue Jays. Uh, Celestin is is the super toolsy shortstop who's been on the radar probably the longest. Uh, still comes with some hit tool concerns until he can can show that he can uh, you know keep the strikeout rate in checks when he makes his debut. Uh, we've seen some guys not really live up to expectations, so. Definitely risky, but uh, has the highest upside. Solace has uh, great bloodlines, probably the highest floor, probably the best pure hitter. But he's a, a catcher who's a long ways away from the majors. A lot can go wrong there with that profile. And then uh, Bania is uh, the best power hitting prospect in the class. Drew Bonner asked uh, if the struggles of Matt McLean and Nick Gonzalez have changed how I evaluate first-year player draft guys uh, and performances in small sample uh, the, the year they got drafted. Um, I think McLean and Gonzalez are, are very similar um, because I was really high on both guys uh, heading into the draft. And part of what I loved about McLean and Gonzalez was their hit tools. 
and it was sort of, uh, and you could almost kind of throw Keston Hira into this mix too, where it's college hitters, where it's supposed to be hit over power, and then they get into pro ball and they just start selling out for power and the hit tool kind of disappears. Uh, they become easy to attack for opposing pitchers and the whole profile kind of falls apart. So is that um, something that we can apply to players in this draft class? Cause it, I think what, what Drew's wondering is, did I overrate them because, because of how they performed after they got drafted? It was more kind of, just confirmation bias that they, cause I was high on them when they got drafted. Uh, so I've already kind of backed off of, of Jacob Berry and JC young uh, just because of how bad of defenders they are. And the fact that they're sort of not um, clear impact bats at this stage. Uh, I think that's fair to say. Um, I mean, couldn't have gone to two worse organizations either. I mean, the, the Marlins have really no track record of developing uh, a guy like Barry and the Tigers, you know, obviously bad park, bad team. They haven't had uh, too many developmental success stories either, even though it is a new regime. Um, but I think like a, a parallel to Gonzalez and maybe even McLean would almost, it'd be like if Brooks Lee went out and just started striking out a bunch this year and then, um, was really trying to get to more power than he needed to. And then all of a sudden we're just kind of like, what is Brooks Lee? That could be like a, a parallel. Um, but I, I, I don't think we can discount someone like Lee just because of what's happened with McLean and, and Gonzalez and, and Hira. Uh, but I think it is, it is something to kind of keep an eye on with these college guys um, where they, the hit tool really has to be as good as advertised. Uh, that's when things can sort of get tricky if it's not. Uh, Drew Bonner uh, says uh, for pop-up non-first-year player draft, J15 guys who are added to the list for the first time, what are some primary driving factors? Uh, I did notice there were there were some guys who had plus signs on this update, uh, like DePaula, uh, Luis Ortiz, um, some others who actually weren't additions on this update. I think there were maybe additions from the last update, but um, I think there's something maybe with those plus arrows where it's it's taking uh, longer than it should for them to kind of go away. But uh, there are some examples of this, you know, like uh, Mason Miller with the athletics, uh, really hard throwing, exciting pitching prospect, and Axel Sanchez with the Mariners. Uh, I mean, the Mariners just keep reloading uh really impressive what they're doing with their farm system but uh those are just some guys who i would say it slipped through the cracks on the last update um who should have probably been on there already uh and then you've got some other guys you know like i i was sort of stubborn um on on guys like bryce terang and and cade marlowe guys i'm still not that high on but uh just Given their proximity and their 2022 seasons, uh, I think they, they deserve to be ranked. Um, then there's just, you know, there's a, a bunch of guys where ad, advanced data that, that uh, you can find on, on sites like, you know, Prospects Live or uh, 
maybe baseball America, like just something kind of popped that I noticed, um, after doing research that, that led me to Adam, but, um, it's always just a, it's always a mix of factors and there's such a good, uh, prospect community out there on, on Twitter that people are always kind of churning up, you know, new guys that, that we need to take a look at. And, and that type of thing's valuable to me. Like, I'm not gonna uh, agree with everyone's take on these guys, but you know, a lot of it is just kind of like, Oh, let me look at that guy uh, and see what people are so excited about and, and that kind of thing. Uh, Scott Corlander asks, is it possible that John Kenzie Noel's 22.7% uh, strikeout rate as a 20 year old at double A hits at a better hit tool than he's getting credit for? Uh, yeah, I think Noel is probably one where I dropped him too much. Um, I do really, uh, for a guy with like Noel's probably a DH uh, at the end of the day. And with those types of guys, uh, we'll, we'll talk about another one in a second. Uh, with those types of guys, um, it's just, I really don't have a ton of patience uh, when I start getting concerned about whether the bat's going to play because the bat absolutely has to play. There's no way around it. They're not going to get um, chance after chance after chance uh, because they're just not bringing anything to the table defensively. But I do think I did drop uh, John Kenzie Noel a little bit too far. Uh, his his chase rate and zone contact rate on the season were pretty bad, but he might have actually improved those uh, as the season went on. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right. Uh, Jordan for Giants and Finney both asked why Davison De Los Santos of the Diamondbacks dropped so much. Uh, I just, 
I see so much um, Miguel Sano here, just with fewer walks. Um, bad body. Uh, the reports out in Arizona for obviously everyone knows, you know, the, the contact issues, the swing decisions in the AFL bad. Um, but he he's just he's apparently just one of the worst defenders uh, and really kind of the worst sort of baseball IQ type of guys that's that's out there. So I kind of think he's a DH, too, at this point. Um I know that's maybe unfair to say about a guy as young as him, but I mean, they're just scouts were panning his panning, his non hitting attributes so much and no one's worried about the power, but that's kind of what brings me back to Miguel. So no, I just, I think this is a guy who's going to struggle to stay in shape. Uh, I think he's going to be at the bottom of the defensive spectrum. I think he is going to strike out a lot, hit for a low average. So you know, I know that the age to level is really impressive with De Los Santos, but where is he going to play? Is he going to make enough contact to play? Um, how are upper upper level pitchers going to be able to expose his approach? I think it's this is a great offseason to just kind of get what you can for De Los Santos, I think. <coughs> uh, Chaz Beef again here with uh, Ezekiel Tovar. And Gunnar Henderson both struggled after hitting high A late in 2021 and were assigned to double A and never looked back. Any early candidates to be cautious of discounting in 2022? Uh, I mean, I think there are guys, this is such a hard uh, thing to answer because if we're discounting them, there's usually a reason. And so, for instance, I think it's fair to discount De Los Santos. Um, I think it's fair to discount uh, Nick York a little bit. Uh, I think it's fair to discount Luis Matos. But they do kind of qualify as as potential answers here, maybe even Robert Hassel. Um, But it would be, you know, it wouldn't be the most surprising thing in the world if, Luis or Luis Matos had a monster 2023 season or Robert Hassel had a monster 2023 season. But uh, I don't think we should just assume that's going to happen um, based on what Ezekiel Tovar and Gunnar Henderson did. Uh, if you want to just compare like Matos and Henderson, Henderson was way better at high than, than Matos was. Um, Matos played like twice as many games at high A as Ezekiel Tovar did. Um, so, I mean, I, there, there are some names out there. I mean, I, I think Nick York is is probably a good buy low. Uh, I know that I lowered him a lot because I was probably the highest on him in the first place, but uh, I'm sure that there's plenty of people out there that would just take what they could get from Nick York right now, and I would, I'd be interested in that. I wouldn't be interested in buying in, in De Los Santos and, and even, honestly, Matos or, or Hassel at this point. Um, Dynasty student asked, uh, how excited should I be for the future Baltimore infield? Uh, you should be very excited, uh, but you should be excited about just more of the infield. I mean, I think the future Baltimore lineup overall is just going to uh, be a monster in, in three or four years. And along those lines, Steve Cohen asked, who plays what position for Baltimore? on opening day 2025. 
this is a really fun one. Uh, obviously, Adley Rushman at catcher is a lock. Uh, but then basically everything else I think is sort of up for grabs. It's going to be kind of musical chairs. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to say that this is opening day 2025. So I think uh, I think Jackson Holiday debuts after opening day 2025. So I'm not going to include Holiday here. Uh, I'm going to say Kobe Mayo's the first baseman. I just think this this is a guy who's eventually going to end up at first base, even though he might be able to handle third base. They just have too many good defensive infielders uh, to need him to play there. And then I'm going to say Connor Norby at second base. Uh, Gunnar Henderson at shortstop. Jordan Westberg at third base. But then there's the Joey Ortiz wrinkle where if any of Norby or or Westberg or even like Mayo – isn't up to being an everyday player. Ortiz could slot in at second base. Ortiz could play shortstop and move Henderson back to third. Um, Westberg could play second base. I mean, all those pieces, I, I think Norby kind of has to play second. So he'll either play second or he, or he won't be playing probably, but like Westberg and Henderson and Ortiz can play any of those spots basically. So, um, but I, I'll say Norby at second Gunner at short Westberg at third. Then I'll say Colton Colton Kowser in left field. Uh, I think Cedric Mullins might still be uh, in center field, even if he's maybe on the strong side of a platoon. I think his defense probably uh, keeps him around this long. And then in right field, I kind of have Kyle Stowers, Judd Fabian, and Dylan Beavers slashed there I, I think it's maybe you know best guess would be one of those three i do like stowers uh he's not prospect eligible um i think i think fabian and, and beavers are, are awesome uh first year player draft targets but questionable whether those two will both be ready uh, i said holiday won't be ready probably by then one of those two might be um but i'll, I'll say stowers and then i'll, I'll say ryan mountcastle at designated hitter uh, and then Alex Washburn, uh, another Orioles question. Do you see Judd Fabian or Dylan Beavers as a potential breakout for Baltimore? Uh, yes, I do. Um, really like both those guys. Uh, they're, I'm, I'm, a tiny bit of that is I just think Baltimore has such an impressive track record of selecting the right guys and getting the most out of those guys. Uh, but I, I think you got to love what those two showed. Uh, from an approach standpoint in their debuts, and they both have uh, power and speed. Uh, Dave McDonald, um, Rotosaurus, wanted to know if there's anything interesting with Guardians prospects that I want to discuss. Uh, it's it's still as deep of a farm system as there is in the game. Uh, I'd say Cleveland, the Dodgers, and the Orioles are probably the three deepest systems. Uh, and Cleveland's depth is so awesome because they have it at every position and every level of the minors. Uh, the amount of quality pitching prospects they have is really pretty staggering when you consider that they've already got a, a good big league rotation that's full of young guys. Um, they just had another really good draft. Uh, and then Wilfredo Antunes, who no one asked me about, uh, but Antunes is, is one of my favorite breakout candidates in the lower levels. Uh, he might be available out there. 
uh, in waivers. So he might be kind of a mid to late round first year player draft guy, even though he wasn't from that class. Uh, power and speed and, and was kind of a late bloomer, but I really like Antonez. Uh, notorious DAD. Any reason you Min Lin dropped out of the top 400? Uh, no, not really. I mean, he, he can be considered in the like 300 to 500 range, just opted to put some hitters in over pitchers when it was close. Uh, David Scott wants to know, uh, will Brennan went down 20 spots after a pretty nice year? Will he find 20 plus home run power? Uh, Brennan is a really tough guy for me to rank, uh, because like the, the hit tool is, is clearly excellent, but everything else is just kind of TBD. Like Dave asked about, uh, the power, um, you know, I think it's it's probably like 15 to 20 homer power. And I think his Brennan's hit tool compares very favorably to Stephen Kwan's hit tool. And I think there's there's some similarities there. But part of why Stephen Kwan gets to play every day and doesn't get platooned against lefties is because his defense is really good. And Brennan, like I think Brennan is a is a good defensive like left fielder. But I don't think he's such a good defender that it's just going to keep him in the lineup necessarily if he's not really hitting. I think there is some some Michael Brantley potential here. Uh, but he doesn't have plus speed. He doesn't have plus power. You're kind of hoping for the, the batting average to really be carrying him for him to be hitting you know first or second. And it's getting crowded there. So uh, just you know, love the hit tool. All the other stuff is sort of up in the air. Uh, I have taken Brennan in, I think, in some draft and holds. I have him in some dynasty leagues. I think having him in the top 75 is still uh, a vote of confidence, but um, he really, you know, the hit tool has to be great, and he, he has to find the the at-bats to, to rack up those counting stats. Uh, O's flows. Okay, this is a, this is a question you guys are going to like. Um, how does the current top 10 compare to the last few prospect classes? And can you rank your last 10 number one overall prospects based on how valuable they were in Dynasty before they debuted? So I think this current top 10, um, I think it, it feels maybe a little riskier outside of the top two than the average top 10 um, partly because you've got guys like Jordan Lawler, uh, Jackson Trurio, Ellie De La Cruz, who I would say, you know, we're, we're, we're not a hundred percent sure on the hit tool, but everything else is awesome. Um, it actually, it kind of reminds me a little bit of back in 2014, 2015, when it was Chris Bryan and Byron Buxton, at the top, and then you had Xander Bogarts, Carlos Correa, Javier Baez, Addison Russell, Francisco Lindor, um, Miguel Sano, kind of behind those guys, and they were all super exciting, but you just didn't quite know exactly what you're going to get from from all of them. Um, and then for the uh, rank by last 10 number one prospects based on how valuable they were in Dynasty before they debuted. So, um, I spent some time trying to figure out who my, uh, cause I've, you know, I've only been doing this, uh, since kind of 
the sort of Chris Bryant, um, Byron Buxton, you know, I think like Oscar Tavares was on my first uh, set of prospect rankings I did. So I don't go back far enough, I think, to even have 10. Uh, I mean, I like there are guys like Fernando Tatis who were my number one prospect for like a week or two before graduating. I'm not really going to count guys like that. So I'm just trying to look at guys who were my number one prospect for a significant period of time and rank those guys based on how valuable they were when they debuted. So, and then let me know after the fact, if you think I, I forgot anyone, but I think number one is Vladimir Guerrero jr. Uh, he's the most sure thing prospect I've ever ranked. Um, you know, hundred percent lock that he was going to be good when he was a prospect. Obviously it took him uh you know, it took him a, a couple of years to really hit his stride, but uh, was just such a sure thing, power, batting average, lock it in, you know, number three, number four hitter. Um, just fantastic, 10 out of 10 prospect. Um, Ronald Acuna Jr. is going to be number two for me on this list. Uh, one of my one of my best calls was probably being, I think I was the first person to rank Acuna as the number one overall prospect. I remember exactly where I was when I when I ranked Acuna number one. I was in the uh, press box at Pensacola and uh, just kind of had an, an epiphany that Acuna needed to be number one. And, I mean, he was just the ultimate all-the-tools-in-the-world type of guy. Super obvious that the power and the speed were there. Um, so I'll say Acuna number two. I'll say Chris Bryant number three. Uh, he was so good that they kind of he's the face of the service time manipulation uh, tactic, basically, because he was so good that everyone knew what was going on at the time. Um, Julio Rodriguez, I'll say, is number four, uh, always had that special feel. Uh, I know that, you know, I wasn't expecting him to be like a 30 steel guy, but I was I was expecting speed. Um, probably expecting more speed than most people were with him. And the the bat was just so special. And he just sort of had that. He just gave off superstar vibes. Um, it was really easy to see. Uh, for number five, I'm going to say Byron Buxton. Uh, I absolutely loved Prospect Buxton. I had him ranked over Corey Seager. Uh, that one, I mean... I don't regret having him over Corey Seager. I think that that was the right call. If he just has kind of a normal career of health, I think you would rather have had Corey Seager uh, this whole time uh, due to the durability issues with Buxton. But I thought Buxton was just a, a total superstar waiting to happen. And then number six, I'm going to say that's where Corbin Carroll slots in. Uh, people really sleep on how toolsy he is. I think it's just his stature, uh, the fact he wasn't a big-time international signee or anything like that. But, I mean, he's he's going to just be a fantasy monster. And then number seven, I'll say, is Juan DeFranco. Uh, I mean, just, just the fact that people were arguing for Jared Kalanick over him, like, I don't, I don't think anyone would have been arguing for Jared Kalanick over Ronald Acuna or Chris Bryant. Um, and Franco has always been just such a kind of a divisive guy, I think, for fantasy because people are so attached to the fact that he was the number one prospect and kind of 
carry that with him as some sort of reason why he's going to um, produce more than his tools suggest. And then the final, uh, the, the, wor the worst of the number one prospects of the eight that I could dig up, I, maybe I'm missing someone, uh, is Yon Mankata. And, um, you know, a good example of why I think Mankata should be last here is I myself was considering ranking Andrew Benintendi over him. I mean, can you imagine Andrew Benintendi as a as a number one prospect? Uh, so I think that was that was a down a down stretch in terms of how talented the the prospect pool was. Uh, so again, Vlad Guerrero one, Acuna two, Chris Bryant three, Julio Rodriguez four, Byron Buxton five, Corbin Carroll six, Juan Franco seven, Yon Makata eight. Uh, for how I would rank all the number one prospects I've ever ranked in terms of how good a prospect they were at the time before they debuted. Um, so let me know if you think I missed anyone. Um, but that, that was fun. All right. Jeffrey Thomas, uh, Taj Bradley is 21 years old in triple a and all the pitchers directly above him are older and a double a or triple a. Why is he dropping? Um, you know, I'm a little worried about the depth of Bradley's arsenal compared to those guys. It's still mostly fastball cutter. Uh, I kind of assumed at this point there would be a third weapon there. Um, doesn't seem like there is. Uh, and I wonder if, you know, maybe the fact that he just wasn't as dominant at AAA as he had been at the other levels is sort of evidence of that lack of a, a deeper arsenal um, possibly being an issue against, um, you know, upper level hitters. Um, I just think there are less questions about the pitchers I have ahead of him, but he, you know, even so uh, based on how much I downgrade pitching prospects on my rankings, having him ranked at 49th overall, it's not, a, it's not a slap in the face or anything like that. All right. Mr. Screw. Uh, Ian Lewis and Werner Blakely fell off the list completely. Does this indicate a lower ceiling as opposed to a lower floor? I mean, I think the, the floor with both guys, Ian Lewis, Ian Lewis of the Marlins, Werner Blakely of the Angels, the floor with both, get, both guys is like non-big leaguer. So I don't think the floors have changed. Uh, Blakely's ceiling is the same. Maybe Lewis's ceiling is a little low after last year. Blakely just missed the top 400. I just thought he was too risky and too unproven to stay on with all the additions, but I thought Lewis was a, an easy cut from the top 400. All right, O's flows again. Uh, do you think Joey Weimer ends up being closer to his double-A stat line or triple-A line? Uh, you know, double-A. Otherwise, I'd have him ranked quite a bit higher, right, because he, he had a great uh, short run at triple-A. Um, Weimer, I went back and looked at his ranking history, because I've never, I've never really had a sort of strong, confident opinion of what Joey Weimer is going to be. Uh, and he's been, over the past two years, he's been sort of up and down, uh, got as high as the low 60s, uh, debut, or has been as low as 190. And I think the, the power and speed with Weimer are, are super obvious. Um, and I've just always been dubious of the hit tool. Uh, you know, I think it's 
it's worth noting that the the caliber of pitching at AAA over like the final six weeks of the season is is just going to be pretty bad. Um, they're they're worn out from a long season. They're not good enough to be helping their depleted big league pitching staffs. So it's it's a pretty decent situation to put up numbers. Um, and I just I it's kind of like the opposite of Nick York. Like with when push comes to shove, I'm going to bet against Joey Weimer's hit tool. Um, but I admit I I could just be off base here. I I haven't been able to get a good feel um, for how good Weimer is going to be against big league pitching. So it's possible I'm I'm too low on him. Uh, high tech asked if Khalil Watson matures, how high could he jump back up the rankings? Uh, you know Watson's raw power and speed and bat speed are are excellent, uh, but you know his his ability to handle adversity I think is really up for debate, and you have to be able to handle adversity to get to the major leagues, and. He also just, you know, how's the hit tool going to stack up when he faces high A and double A pitching? Uh, that's a big question too. I think we're <clears throat> we're honestly kind of we're in kind of Milton Bradley territory here from from a makeup standpoint. I mean, he's young enough. You know, I don't want to can get in trouble when we just look at a nineteen year old and say like he can't mature, he can't you know make better decisions and stuff like that. I mean, I was making all kinds of bad decisions when I was his age, but. Um, I wasn't, you know, I, what he did with the bat, um, and the umpire where he was pointing it at him, like, uh, like it was a machine gun after he got uh, called out on a check swing, like that's just so like outrageous <laughs> in terms of poor decision-making. Uh, I'm con- concerned and there were concerns, sort of non-public concerns, uh, in the draft and I kind of wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt. Um, I wish I'd kind of weighed those a bit more. Um, he wouldn't be nearly as low as he is if it was just the makeup. But when you combine the makeup with the hit tool and the fact that he will struggle at times against better pitching, and I'm just not sure he's going to handle those struggles well. So I just, obviously if he, I think he's a guy where you want to see multiple months sort of stacked together of him showing significant improvements before you really buy in. But uh, the tools are still that of like a top 25 prospect. All right. Scott says, can you address why you've come around on Dalton rushing after disagreeing with Eddie Almaguer about him on the podcast a month ago due to the depth of the catcher position? Yes, this is a great question. Uh, I haven't, I hadn't done my deep dive on rushing when Eddie was on the podcast and I uh, got to give a big shout out to Prospects Live um, because it was kind of the the data they have uh, sort of helped sell me on moving Rushing's bat up into the kind of that uh, sort of mid to late first round range of first year player drafts. Um, I also came around to the idea that Rushing could be a first baseman or designated hitter. You know, it's just we're kind of is the bat anywhere near as good as it looked in his debut. Cause I mean, he was just perfect basically as a hitter in his debut, uh, hitting the ball extremely hard, making excellent swing decisions. Like if that's just who he is, 
then it doesn't really matter about the catcher thing because he's just going to play a ton um, at other places besides catcher. And then there's also the the fact that he was it's it's very easy to envision him being this sort of late blow up guy because he wasn't playing that much behind Henry Davis at college. And that uh, led to the Dodgers getting a draft day discount on him. Um, so it's, it's sort of a calculated, I think, I think you take him kind of in the middle of first year player drafts, um, depending on how big your league is, it, it might not work out. Um, but I think he's just, he was so good in his debut and there are other avenues, like he might just be so good that he's not even a catcher. Um, so yeah, that was a good call by Eddie. Uh, Jeff Kearney asks for Corbin Carroll's projected five by five stats in his prime. So I'm just going to kind of give like a range here. Uh, I think in his prime, Corbin Carroll's hitting between 280 and 300. I think he's getting you 20 to 25 home runs. He's getting you 25 to 35 steals, 90 to 100 runs, 80 to 100 RBI. So, you know, first round pick basically. Uh, Jables, any pitchers outside the top 50 who could make a big leap? So the aforementioned Tink Hentz, Brandon Barriera with the Blue Jays. I mean, a lot of these guys, when it, when we're talking about big leaps, it's it's usually going to be guys where there isn't a ton of track record right now. Um, so it's going to be some first-year player draft guys, that type of thing. Uh, but Brandon Barriera with the Blue Jays. Harleen Susana with the Nationals, Kate Horton with the Cubs, Dylan Lesko with the Padres, Bubba Chandler with the Pirates. Uh, I think Connor Prelip with the Twins, I think he could just be a guy where by like June or July, we're talking about him as like the steal of the draft. Uh, I definitely think there's there's a chance he's he's a huge riser. Uh, A.J. smith Shaver, uh you know, gotta gotta throw more strikes, but uh, the stuff is there. Like he could take a big step forward if if he improves his control this year. Uh, Jacob Mizorowski with the Brewers, uh, Mason Miller uh, with the A's, and Landon Sims with the Diamondbacks are, are some guys that I think could make huge jumps this year. Uh, process over results of the pitching prospects in your top fifty. Who do you think has the highest slash lowest ceiling slash floor and is most slash least likely to reach those marks? So for highest ceiling, uh, I'm going to go with a four-way tie between Andrew Painter, Grayson Rodriguez, Uri Perez, and Ricky Tiedemann. And I think Painter is the most likely to reach it, which is why he's first. Uh, lowest ceiling. Uh, it, this is really tough because I, it's easy to envision um, great things for all of them. I mean, like, I, I, would, I don't really want to cap any of these guys' ceilings necessarily, but I'll say Brandon Fat there. And then uh, highest floor. Uh, none of them have high floors. They're all they're all pitching prospects. Uh, they could. Their next pitch, they could get injured and they could struggle to make it back. So none of them have high floors. 
But if I have to pick one, I'll say fat for high floor. So lowest ceiling and highest floor, Brandon Fat, um, because of it, he just mastered the Pacific Coast League, which is so hard to do, and he's got good command. I think he's going to open the year in the rotation. So, uh, And then lowest floor, uh, again, they all have low floors, but in terms of realistic floors, I think it's Daniel Espino, um, just to, at least until we see him pitching in games and looking like himself because, you know, we just – he might be dealing with the, uh, I think it was his shoulder uh, that was barking towards the end of the year. And I just want to see him come back from that, but there's, there's a chance he's just dealing with something um, that sucks. Uh, but you could also list Espino in the high ceiling category too, if you wanted to. Uh, Ian Strada, why does Miguel Vargas rank ahead of Josh Young? Uh, much safer hit tool. Uh, I think we will see, Young uh, make big strides from a contact standpoint uh, in the coming years. I think, you know, just he's missed so much time. I don't think it's fair to judge him solely on that the strikeout rate he put up last year, especially in the majors. But I think with Vargas, I would be shocked if Vargas doesn't hit enough to be an everyday player. I just think the hit tool is that good. Uh, I think there's, you know, at least above average game power there. Um. And Vargas is two years younger than Young, and they're basically the same level of big league readiness. So, uh, but they are they are close in the rankings. Uh, Matt says that the double A to MLB jump seems to be a real thing these days. Any indication those teams are making a real commitment to keeping them up, or is the recent trend too small to make a conclusion? Uh, I think this is sort of a chicken or the egg type of thing. Uh, like Michael Harris, like if Michael Harris had struggled against big league pitching, he would have been sent back down. But part of why he got the call in the first place is they thought he could handle it. So, you know, I, I don't think these teams are like, you're coming up from double A and you're sticking no matter what. Like they're not doing that, but they're probably being strategic in which guys they bring up because they think they can handle it. And then you're also just you're you're going to see guys like Leo Verpiguero and Helio Ramos who get the call from Double A. Uh, actually, maybe Ramos was from Triple A, but I know Piguero's from Double A. Um, but some sometimes guys just get the call because they're on the forty man, and the team just needs a warm body. Uh, and then you, you're going to see the rare cases where a contending team just needs to field the best players they can. Uh, which is how Vaughn Grissom, I think, got the call last year. And they might have thought he could handle it too, but I think that was partly just, you know, they were dealing with injuries and it's just kind of like, this guy's killing it. Let's just give him a shot. And if he struggles, we'll just send him right back down. But he he was able to stay up. Um, you also have scenarios where, like I, I know, uh, like George Kirby, um, the Mariners didn't want him pitching in the PCL. So you're going to have reasons like that where it's just our double A affiliates here, our triple A affiliates here. Let's just bring them. Let's just have them skip the triple A affiliate. Um, so if we're looking ahead, uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't rule out Jordan Walker or Andrew Painter uh, jumping over triple A with dominant spring trainings. So like if, if Walker or Painter make their team out of spring training, that would count as, going from double A to the majors because they never played at triple A. I wouldn't assume that will happen uh, with, especially with painter, but um, you know, it could happen. 
And then, uh, like, I, I, you're not going to see the Rays. The Rays aren't skipping Kyle Manzardo over AAA. Uh, I think if we're just kind of, like, predicting who the next guy might be to just completely skip AAA, I would look to Jackson Merrill uh, with the Padres. Uh, just the Padres are one of the most aggressive teams when it comes to promoting guys. And he's a, a really good prospect. Uh, I don't know when he'll be at double A, but I, you know, wouldn't be the craziest thing if he just was killing it at double A and AJ Preller's like, just bring this guy up. Uh, Daniel Wolf, uh, does Colton Kowser have a realistic ceiling of 360 OBP, 25 home runs and 20 stolen bases in peak years? Uh, the OBP part is definitely realistic and that might even be like a median outcome, 360 OBP for Kowser. Um, OBP and runs scored are sort of, that's Colton Kowser. That's, that's sort of the, the categories he's going to dominate in if he pans out. Like, I think he could be a regular hundred plus runs guy when that Orioles lineup's really loaded, you know, hitting in front of Adley Rutschman and Gunnar Henderson. So, I mean, I think his ceiling for OBP is higher than 360. Uh, 25 homers, 20 steals. I think, you know, that's it's kind of on the high end probably for both of those. Um, I'd maybe I'd maybe be hoping for like 20 homers and 10 to 15 steals with all those runs, good average, good a good OBP. That's kind of what I'm hoping for with Kowser. Uh He could maybe get to 25 homers, maybe 20 steals, but yeah, that, that's kind of a ceiling. So I think that is sort of a realistic ceiling um, in terms of the home runs and steals. Uh, Daniel Wolf in an OBP league, can you make a case for Emmanuel Rodriguez of the Twins over Brain Rocchio? Uh, sure. Uh, Rodriguez is better in OBP than average. Rocchio is better in average than OBP. They're fairly close, so sure. Uh, LP3, is Roderick Arias of the Yankees still a hold? Uh, I think he's – Arias is more likely to have you regret cutting him loose than like Christian Vaccaro. But if you hold Arias, you have to be committed to sort of holding him all the way to June because he's not going to be playing in April and May. So – if you keep him over a guy who's going to full season ball, but then you cut Arias in like early May because you see someone you want to scoop off waivers, you probably should have just cut him now and churned that spot from the get-go. Um, but, you know, uh, usually the J2 and J15 guys who are going to be good dominate the lower levels. And I think there's there's some stuff in Arias's numbers where it's it's not quite as bad as it as the surface stats might say, but um, there's not much track record of someone just kind of being okay in the DSL and then going on to be an awesome prospect. Jim Childs asks if eligible, where would Chase Delander and Max Clark rank? Uh, this is you know. Another, I give this PSA all the time, but uh, I don't follow the amateur market year round. Uh, I basically 
I find it much more efficient and uh, much more efficient use of my time. If I follow the draft basically for the six to eight weeks leading up to the draft, because so much changes from say like a year before the draft to even six months before the draft, you know, spending time sort of tracking that stuff before the, when those guys are so far away from pro ball, it's just a waste of my time. Uh, and, and I don't have the time to do it anyways. Um, you know, following pro prospects year round is basically a full-time job. And so I want to be as good at that as I possibly can be. So I, I focus in on the draft um, basically after my first big update of the season is complete, which is right before Memorial day weekend. Then it's nothing but draft stuff for me, basically um, until the draft. And then like with the J 15 guys, I'm not really following that market either uh, until they get close to signing. And it's not like there's much to follow on the J 15 side, but um, you know, anytime you're asking me about DeLander or Max Clark or Dylan Cruz, anything like that, I'm just the wrong person to ask. Uh, I could point you in the right direction of great people to ask about that stuff. Um, you know, Prospects Live is great. Baseball America is great. Um, there's lots of people who specialize in that, but I am, I am not an expert year round in the amateur market. Um, Mr. Screw, is there any hope of seeing Hedbert Perez, a Hedbert Perez resurgence? Uh, yeah, I'm not completely writing off Perez yet. He was one of the final cuts from the top 400. Um, but I would drop him now unless you're in a league where basically my whole top 400 or most of my top 400 is rostered. He still has really impressive bat speed. He still has plus power potential. He's still very young. Um, but he, I don't think he has the four or five category upside anymore. Uh, I don't think we can project stolen bases. I don't think we can project a high batting average. So, you know, if you're being patient on him now, you're basically hoping he turns into a power hitting like number six hitter, that type of thing, which could, could still happen, but um, I'd recommend just kind of churning that spot uh, for now. CW talk to us about your lack of concern regarding Elijah green's strikeouts. <clears throat> so this is, I think this has sort of come up and this is kind of a, a big conversation. I've, there's some similar questions here. So with Elijah Green, I haven't ranked at number 23. Uh, that does not mean that I have a lack of concern about his strikeouts. It's just you, you're weighing risk versus reward here. Um, his risk is arguably higher than any other top 40 prospect, but his ceiling is probably higher than any prospect outside the top 11 or so. So I'm trying to weigh the risk and the reward with green. Uh, we're going to, there's a question about where my tiers are here a little bit later. And if you want to just value a guy like green, basically at the bottom of the tier he's in, which is basically um, like 20 to 45 or so. Like if you want to say, I'm worried about the strikeouts. I've gotten burned in the past by investing in in someone like uh, say Khalil Watson, um, 
like I just don't want that to happen again. I want to I want to take a safer player. Um, then I would. That's fine. You can you can value green twenty spots lower if you want. Uh, I just think you know we're talking about a guy who he you know if he just has a forty grade hit tool, uh, he could hit thirty homers with twenty steals. <laughs> and if he has a fifty grade hit tool, which many smart evaluators have put on him. If he has a 50 grade hit tool, he could hit 40 homers with 30 steals. So I just think, I just think betting on the talent to me makes sense. And I got another question from Nevo. Uh, seems like more teenagers are earning your trust again after the Hedbert Perez and, and Jason Dominguez fiascos. Uh, are these guys that, that special? Or are you warming up to them as a group in general? Um, you know, I don't think Dominguez was necessarily a fiasco, but Ebert Perez and Reginald Preciado were fiascos. Uh, but I just don't think it's relevant, you know, comparing um, international guys where I was just out on an island, basically, with a bad rank on those guys to someone like Green. Um and this ties into another question from, from Dan O compare green this year to Ellie De La Cruz last year when Ellie was out to the top 50 uh, green is 19. Ellie was 20 last year. So you get the one year age difference, but also green has been a relevant dynasty league prospect for longer than Ellie De La Cruz has. Like I, more people knew who Elijah green was uh, three years ago then knew who Ellie De La Cruz was three years ago. Um, he's just, he's got the bloodlines. He's got the pedigree, like off the charts. It might not work out at all. Like I'm not saying I, I believe in Elijah Green's hit tool. He's going to hit and it's going to be great. I just think at a certain point in the rankings, you've got to bet on a talent like this. And to me, I, I slide him at 23. Uh, if you're not ready to bet on that talent at 23, and feel better about it. Like in the mid thirties, that's totally fine. I understand that completely. Um, but I mean, this is one of those things where, you know, if he, if he goes to single a this year and is striking out 24% of the time, he's just going to be putting up insane numbers and you're going to be able to get whatever you want from him in a dynasty league. Uh, Dan, or yeah, I got, got those. So that, that was the, Elijah Green skeptics portion of the show. And that's totally, it, it's, it's sort of, what is your risk tolerance? Do you, do you want to play it safe? That there's a lot of merits to that. Um, if there's a handful of guys that I have below Elijah Green that you would easily take over him, that's totally fine. Um, I'm just trying to, I'm weighing the risk and the reward. There is risk and there's massive upside. CW is Peyton Palette. Uh, with the White Sox, a guy you're excited to see when he gets back from Tommy John surgery. Um, you know, not really. <laughs> uh, I ranked him. Um, I'm more excited to see like Dylan Lesko, kind of prelip, Landon Sims, even Reggie Crawford. Uh, probably more excited to see like, you know, Luis Heal. Um, there's a lot of guys coming back from Tommy John surgery. Palette is not near the top of the guys I'm most excited to see, but. I think the the Tommy John surgery guys in the draft, especially on the college side, sometimes that can be a sneaky source of upside. And so at a certain point in first year player drafts, I think it's it's fine to, to roll the dice on, on Palette. 
O's Flows is a James Wood Spencer Jones comp fair. Could they be close in rank by mid year? Uh, they could be close in rank if Wood struggles and or Jones dominates against age appropriate competition. Uh, but you know, Wood is over a year younger or over a year younger and has I think 49 more games of dominance at single A under his belt. Um, I know I know that the you know you can look at the stolen bases and you can look at the speed grades and and say that they're similar athletes. I I still think Wood is a, a notch above Jones as an athlete. So I think it's you're looking at height position and exit velocities you can compare those two for height position and exit velocities but i think that's probably where it stops for me uh ross red k what are your thoughts on rostering non-elite guys who are unlikely to start at a full season affiliate thinking of names like yasser mercedes jose gerardo jonathan mejia all fun names but i'm leery of holding these types early in the year while other guys are on the wire other guys on the wire will be breaking out. Uh, this is a great question and a great observation from Ross. Uh, you definitely have to look at that when you're making your keeper decisions in your dynasty leagues. Um, you know, you want to have at least a couple spots, I think, on your roster that are churnable early in the year. And so maybe that means you're keeping someone, you know, say you're, you're keeping like a Parker Meadows. Um, and then if he is playing really poorly and someone like uh, Jason Morabell with the Rangers is breaking out at single A, you could drop Meadows and pick up Morabell. But if you keep Yasser Mercedes or you keep Jonathan Mejia, you should be kind of prepared to, to hold them until their complex league starts up in June. So, yeah, you definitely got to be cognizant of that when you're choosing your keepers for your dynasty roster. Like, you don't want it to just be three or four guys where you're not going to have any data to go on with those guys until we get, like, halfway through the season, basically. So you might be missing out. You could have been churning a couple of those spots and getting the next big breakout. Um, so you just got to, you know, it's fine. I like keep, like, Yasser Mercedes, really high ceiling. Uh you know, Mejia, Gerardo, there's, there's plenty of other guys that are exciting. Uh, they're going to be opening up in complex ball. So you, you do want to be involved in that, that part of the, uh, the prospect, um, you know, pool, the, the complex ball pool, but you don't want to have all your eggs in that basket. Uh, another question from Ross, uh, what were the reasons for the drops for Gordon Graceffo and Angel Martinez? Uh, Graceffo. So, he was 68th out of 104 double-A pitchers who threw at least 80 innings last year in strikeout rate, the 21.9% strikeout rate. Um, so, you know, bottom half on that leaderboard. And not a single pitcher below him on that leaderboard is ranked in the top 400. So I just think I think the strikeout rate for Graceffo at double-A is kind of in the danger zone for me. Um Really, you know, and if strikeout rate isn't your thing, if you like K per nine, really pretty rare for a good pitching prospect to have a K per nine under nine. Um, so Graceffo has, you know, the fastball velocity is nice, um, good org, but 
you know, that that's troubling for me. And then Martinez, Martinez is a tough rank. Um, these guys are so tough. The, the ones, the sort of second base types with the really good hit tool. Um, it's like, it's my kryptonite, like Luis Urias, uh, Tyler Freeman, you know, I got Tommy Edmond, right. But like, there's, there's just plenty of these guys where it's, I love the hit tool and I'm excited and you know, there's speed there should be playing time. Um, but on the other hand, you know, Martinez, he just doesn't hit the ball very hard and he's, he's buried on that depth chart. Um, you know, a trade or two would be nice and that could clear things up, but we haven't seen Cleveland make one of those types of trades where they're really, you know, here are some great prospects for this, this big leaguer. Um, they haven't really done that. So I don't think we just assume they do it. So Martinez is really tough to rank though. Like I get, I could buy an argument for having him like 50 spots higher. Uh, Graceffo, I feel good about where I'm ranked. Uh, Ross asked, uh, what kind of upside I see in Joey Ortiz with the Orioles? Um, you know, this is another, kind of another guy like that, right? Like, but he, Joey Ortiz hit 17 homers in his last 74 games across double A AA and triple A. And, you know, some of the stuff I mentioned with Joey Weimer about, you know, triple A at the end of the year, that applies, but it was his first taste of triple A. Uh, his strikeout rate has always been impeccable. So if, if the power breakout for Ortiz is real, and I'm not saying like 30 homers, but if he can just be a 20 homer guy and he, he still hasn't, um, he still hasn't sold out with his, with his hit tool, the hit tool is still great. Um, then I think you're, you're looking at a guy that could be, you know, hitting for a really high average 15 to 20 homers, 10 steals playing every day because of the defense, probably hitting, you know, first or second, something like that. I think that's real upside. Um, you know, that's, that's a type of player that it's basically contributing across the board for you. So he doesn't have the crazy, crazy high upside, but it's not just a floor play for me. Like I think Joey Ortiz has a much higher ceiling than like Bryce Durang, for instance. All right, Matthew King, what kind of peak season stat line are you expecting from Dustin Harris? Um, you know, when I went in, I, I kind of expected to do Dustin Harris's outlook and kind of lower him, you know, 20 spots or something like that. But I just kind of liked I liked everything I saw. I think he got uh, he got kind of unlucky last year. Um, I look at that organizational depth chart. I think he's their left fielder of the future. Uh, I think he could be like a 260 average, 360 OBP type of guy. 25 plus homers, 10 to 15 steals. Um, Harris, I love the idea of trading for Harris right now because he's just not there's. There's no sort of sex appeal with him. Like no one's people aren't talking about Dustin Harris on podcasts until this moment when I answered a question about him. He's just, he's kind of out of sight, out of mind. I think you could get him uh, for a pretty nice price right now in Dynasty. And I think he, he, I think he debuts this year. All right. Jeff Casey is Anthony Volpe a sell high before his MLB debut. Uh, I think so. I, I put Volpe down at 15. Um, I just, I 
think I believe in him the least of my top 15 prospects. It's those 15 hitting prospects before we get to Andrew Painter, Grayson Rodriguez. You know, Volpe is, he's a good prospect. I'm not, I'm not sure he's better than Oswald Peraza, who I've ranked 24th. Um, I think people overrate Volpe's minor league still in base totals. Um, significantly overrate them. He's like I've I've never seen him grayed out as like a burner. And you know what what batting average are we getting from Matthew Volpe? I know it's just it's not a it's, you know batting average isn't a stat we talk about a ton for for prospects, but uh, his batting average has gotten worse at every single level he's climbed. Um, you know, there's, there's luck involved with that, of course, but is Volpe like a 260 hitter? Uh, is he a 270 hitter? Is he a 245 hitter? Like, I don't think he's a guy who's going to be, you know, up in the, the high, you know, 280, 290 range or anything like that. And then, um, I think the power, maybe it, maybe it's 20 homer power. Um, I just think, I think Volpe's. He's a good prospect. I just don't think he's a top 10 prospect. Um, you know, you might be able to just get like Manzardo or, or Vargas for him straight up. I would do that. Uh, I like Royce Lewis more than Anthony, Anthony Volpe. I think Royce Lewis showed us last year before the injury. He just not only has a higher ceiling than Volpe, but also has a higher floor if we ignore the injury. We can't ignore the injury, but I think – I think it'd be a mistake to just say, well, the injury. Um, so we're going to take 20 prospects over Royce Lewis, who showed us against big league pitching that he's awesome. Um, so I would take Lewis over Volpe. Uh, if you're rebuilding, you know, going for Drew Jones, James Wood, Jackson Holiday over Volpe is, is a great move. If you're contending and you have a hole at third base long-term, I think trying to get Josh Young for Volpe is a great move. So yeah, I'd, I'd shop Volpe a little bit. Um, you don't want to just trade him just to trade him. Um, and I've, you know, my, some of my worst trades I've made in dynasty leagues have been like sort of unnecessarily close challenge trades where I, you know, maybe one of those might be like, I've Curtis Mead ranked one spot ahead of Anthony Volpe. I wouldn't go out and offer Volpe straight up for Curtis Mead. That probably gets accepted within a half hour of you sending it and you could have gotten probably more than just Curtis Mead. Um, even though I do like Mead, just a, just a hair more, uh, Nate handy, uh, Nate, Nate challenging me here. Um, had me second guessing myself. Uh, he says when seal Perez seems to have batted ball data, uh, similar to Miguel Vargas and at the same age, although at different levels, he says switch hitters might need a bit longer, but the type of production could look very similar. Um, why did Perez fall out of your favor? Yeah, I, I hate ranking Wenseal Perez. Uh, he's another guy, uh, just kind of my kryptonite, you know, middle infield type with the really great hit tool data. Um, he checks a lot of the boxes I look for, but, you know, no scouts really seem to be on Perez. Um and when I watch him, I see a lot of weak contact. 
So, you know, just looking at the strikeout rate and the, um, you know, where is he hitting the ball? Is he hitting the ball in the air? Like just looking at that with him, I don't think tells quite the whole story. And Vargas just hits the ball harder in press. I know that the, the hard hit data, it's like kind of within shouting distance, but I think it's a significant, the gap there, it can be the difference between being an everyday big leaguer and not being one. Um, there's also reports that Perez's defense is just really mediocre. So um, I don't know. I mean, he's on the 40 man roster. The Tigers team has no talent. So that's an argument in his favor. But then again, like how many home runs is he hitting? If, if that's his home park, um, I know they, I know they changed the fences, um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't, I could see a case for having Wenseal Perez inside the top 200, but um, just a guy that I, I have a hard time getting to read on. Uh, Gabriel Marshall wants to know if Jonathan Aranda was purposely omitted. Yes, uh, Aranda and Gabriel Moreno were the two guys who I didn't realize exhausted their prospect eligibility when I did my end of season ranks. So Aranda and Moreno were removed simply because they were no longer eligible. Although Aranda would have ranked in the 70s, I think, and Moreno would have ranked in the 80s. Terry Foxes, will we see Bobby Miller this year? Uh, I don't think it's going to be a meritocracy with those young Dodgers pitchers right away. And then they went out and got Thor. I mean, we'll probably see Miller this year, assuming he's healthy and productive. But it might be out of the bullpen. Might just be for a spot start here and there. You know, maybe he has like the same opportunities that like Ryan Pepio had this last season. Um, but I don't think Miller's a finished product and they don't need him anytime soon at all. I just, I think it would make more sense for them to kind of really kind of finish his development at AAA and then maybe have him work out of the bullpen uh, over the final couple months or something like that. Uh, CW wanted to know if Kyle Hurt uh, of the Dodgers is on my radar. Uh, yeah, but I mean, he's, he's probably a reliever. And in this org, like I have eight Dodgers pitchers ranked in my top 400. So at a certain point, um, kind of got to leave the, the stragglers behind there. Uh, Schmitty says seeing Tanner Bibby drop 33 spots was a surprise. Was expecting an up arrow. Surface numbers look great. Did you see something in his underlying numbers that concerns you? Or is it just because you hate pitching prospects? Uh, well, I think he was I think he was a little over his head at double A last year. Uh, but I think most, most of this is probably just me hating pitching prospects. Um, with, with pitching prospects, I think I'm looking for reasons to not rank them high. Like there's this stretch, um, there's a stretch in the rankings basically from like Hayden Wesneski and DL Hall are 61 and 62. And then it's just nothing but hitters. And then we get to Tink Hens at 85. Um, then we get to Luis Ortiz, Dre Jameson, Cody Morris, Kyle Muller, Max Meyer rounding out the top. Uh, 100 but there's like a stretch of like 30 hitters there where i just 
I wanted those guys to be in the top 100. If I'm doing if I'm doing some sort of startup draft, I'm taking those hitters before I'm looking at the Tanner Bibbies um, and the the Robert Gossers and the Mason Montgomerys. Um, now it's got to be format dependent, right? Like if you're, I know a lot of you guys play in leagues where, um, you know, you're just you really need pitching. You need starting pitching. Um, you haven't been able to get it, and in that case, if you want to value Bibby as high as like the 60th best prospect, like that's totally fine. Um, I just think there's enough really good pitching prospects that I think are available uh, on the cheap that I just, I want those hitters. Um, And, and with Bibby, you know, he's, he's, he's a good pitching prospect. Uh, but I don't really think I'm being unfair just within the pitching prospects. He's my 21st ranked pitcher. Uh, he's in an extremely crowded org. He's the fourth ranked pitcher within his own org. And the org has a five-man rotation that doesn't include any other three guys ahead of him. So Bibby might not pitch at all in the majors this year. Um, I, I I also just have this gut feel that this is this offseason is the peak of his value. Um, he's a, he's a good pitching prospect. He's my 21st ranked pitching prospect. Uh, Tim Cornell, is there a player you wanted to move up or down, uh, more than you did to stay in line with the industry consensus? Uh, so I think that definitely happens, but it happens subconsciously, I think. And sometimes I kind of catch it after the fact or, um, you know, guy will suck and I'll just be like, why'd I, why I didn't even like him. Why'd I have him there? Um, I think Jack Leiter maybe qualifies here. Uh, I just don't think, I don't think there's any evidence Jack Leiter is, is going to be a good pitcher. Um, I have him like around 200. I think that that's, it's low enough that I make my point. Um, but I, I could have put Jack Leiter even lower. Uh, Dungeon Master, Kyle Manzardo, ETA, and then long-term Manzardo versus Vinny Pasquantino. So uh, I think the Rays, the Rays are going to want to give Jonathan Aranda, Isaac Paredes, and Curtis Mead opportunities uh, the first few months of the season before Manzardo gets his look. And then you also have Yandy Diaz is an, is an everyday player for them. So, you know, they're not going to – I don't think they're going to bring Manzardo up until they sort of have an idea what they have in Aranda and Paredes and Mead. I think Mead plays second base. I mean, really, all three of those guys, like, they're, they're similar. Like, you don't really want them playing anywhere. Um, second base, first base, DH. Uh, but th- there's enough of those guys where – there wouldn't be enough at bats to go around if they brought Manzardo up right away. And at the same time, we're, we're talking about the Rays and Manzardo doesn't have to be added to the 40 man roster anytime soon. So I don't even think I can say with absolute confidence, Manzardo's up this year period um, because of the 40 man issue. Uh, 
I do think he is like if I have to pick, I think he's up around like June, July, um, because I think he'll just be dominating. And somebody is gonna either be hurt or just out of the mix and there'll be a spot for him. So I haven't really been going after him in drafting holds. Um, but there's a chance that he comes up right around the time Vinny Pasquantino came up last year. And that brings us to that, uh, would you rather? And for me, it's like, I think you can make a case Manzardo has a higher ceiling. Um, like if, if, if you just said one of Manzardo or Vinny P someday is going to be getting drafted, like where Freddie Freeman gets drafted, I think it's Manzardo. That said, it's easily Pasquantino over Manzardo for me in Dynasty. Maybe, maybe you go Manzardo if you're just in a complete rebuild, but Pasquantino's proven he is a middle of the order big league hitter, and you're getting value from him on opening day. And I just don't think you can, I, I don't think you can underrate um, the fact that he is just proven. Uh, Manzardo, I think, is going to be awesome, but he's not proven the way that Vinny P's proven. Uh, CW, why did you drop Griff McGarry 88 spots? Well, I think he's likely a reliever, and I don't think he'll have good enough command to be a closer. Brendan Tuma, what does the 90th percentile outcome look like for Ricky Tiedemann this season? All right, 90th percentile to me is going to include full health for the season and no regression from last season. If that happens... I think he could be up in time to make 15 plus starts in the majors. And I think he could enter 2024 with a redraft ADP around 100. So I, you know, I've gotten asked about like, you know, why do you like Ricky Tiedemann more than like Quinn Priester for 2023, uh, given the age gap and experience gap and like Tiedemann Tiedemann is very close to me to being ready to have a lot of success in the majors. Uh, not quite Andrew Painter, Grayson Rodriguez close, but like he's just an absolute stud. Uh, he's got three pitches that are probably better than Priester's best pitch. So I think Tiedemann could factor into things for the Blue Jays this year. And so that, that would definitely fit into his 90th percentile outcome. All right, Carlos, who do you think the best comp for Drew Jones is? Uh, this is a good one. I thought a lot about this, and my ceiling comp for Drew Jones is a durable Byron Buxton who never stops running. So basically, think about Byron Buxton, uh, remove 90% of his injuries and the fact that he stopped running because of those injuries. And I think that's what Drew Jones ends up being. Upper Beck. This is the highest I've seen Everson Pereira ranked. Is the power ceiling outweighing the K concerns? Uh, short answer here is yes. Um, Pereira, I think Pereira is the name that sort of encompasses this set of prospect rankings for me because he was, throughout the whole process, the player that I had sort of the biggest like light bulb going off moment on when I was doing his outlook. Um, you know, he got 
better at like I had Chris Blessing on this on the the show at like the end of the year, and he saw Pereira uh, early in the season, and he was basically like you know plus plus power plus speed forty grade hit tool, but Pereira after Blessing saw him, like I, I forget exactly where the point in the calendar is, but um. You know, he he hit well over 300 for uh, about the, the second half of the year. And so I think I think you're talking about like 40-grade hit tool as sort of the floor. And we might even see like a 50-grade hit tool. And if that happens with Pereira, I think you're basically talking about like what everyone wants Tyler O'Neill to be. Just ridiculous power, obviously. Um like even though Pereira, I think he he hit more homers in twenty twenty one than he did in twenty twenty two. The power is just going to be insane with him, and I feel good about him being like a ten to fifteen steal guy, uh, kind of like O'Neill. So, um, yeah, I think Pereira is really underrated, um, and he's he's just kind of right there in plain sight. Um, so definite definite target this offseason. Uh, Drew Tozer, Kyle Manzardo, and Andrew Painter weren't added in Yahoo in 2022. Shame on you, Yahoo. Uh, where would you rank or where would they rank in first-year player draft compared to Drew Jones and Jackson Holiday? Uh, just exactly how they're ranked. So, I mean, that's that's the beauty of the rankings is all these guys are on there. So Manzardo, Jones, Holiday, Painter. Granted, like I don't play on Yahoo, but if you – if if SPs are just worth their weight in gold. Uh, you could take Painter first of those guys if you wanted to. But for 5x5 five five Roto, just the, the order they're ranked. Um, and that's that's applicable for guys like Pereira, too, for like first-year player drafts. Like I know he'll be out there in some. and um, Maybe you know your league well enough that you can just be like, Look, I can wait a couple rounds on Pereira. I got to take the first year player draft guys, but um, yeah, just follow my rankings. Uh, Dungeon Master, what puts Andrew Painter over Grayson Rodriguez? Uh, I just think Painter's uh, slightly better. Um, you could disagree with me there if you want. Uh, that's fine. Uh, I also, I mean, he's younger. I think it's. I think it's safe to say that he has less injury risk than Grayson because Grayson dealt with a serious injury last year. And I think he, uh, I think, I, I think I heard Jeff Ponce mention this too, and it, it resonated with me because I'd sort of been feeling it, but I hadn't uh, exactly uh, put my finger on it, but like Grayson Rodriguez body, like I just, it, I don't know. It looked, it looks like uh like I could see back issues. Uh, I don't, it's just something about his body, his delivery versus Painter. I just feel better about Painter's body and, and his health. Um, but they're just, they're both studs. Uh, can't imagine where, I mean, maybe in a, in a re or in a startup draft, you might be de- deciding between the two, but um, if you have either guy, don't feel bad about not having the other guy. Um, Rick Bonino. Uh, I realize you were already low on Quinn Priester, but what led you to drop him almost another hundred spots? Uh, he's just, he's so boring to me. Uh, 
like he kind of reminds me of a right-handed Matthew Liebertor. Um, you know, he's got the draft pedigree, uh, but it's just, it's not exciting at all. The team context is terrible. I just, if I think you're probably like a number four, or number five starter, and you're on the worst team in baseball, like it's just, who cares? Um, fantasy baseball for beginners. Where do you see the broad tiers in the top 400? Um, are there similarities in the types of players put in a certain range? Example, are the 100s guys more proximity or upside of the 200s, vice versa, or just too much of a mix throughout? Uh, I definitely don't put certain types in certain spots of the rankings like the way you outlined. Uh, but, you, I mean, you could probably find similar runs of players kind of lumped together. Um, as for the tiers, let's pull this up. So I think Corbin Carroll and Gunnar Henderson is a tier. For me, Jordan Lawler and Jordan Walker is a tier. Jackson Churio and Elliot De La Cruz is a tier. So that's three tiers in the top six, three two-player tiers. Then, uh, then things kind of open up a little. Like I think I'd I'd maybe argue that Manzardo, Vargas, Royce Lewis is a is another small tier. Uh, and then maybe um, maybe like Drew Jones to Ricky Tiedemann. So like ten to nineteen is a tier. And then uh, then I think twenty to forty four. So Termar Johnson all the way down to Pete Crow Armstrong. I think that's a tier. And that's what I was alluding to with Elijah Green earlier. Like if you just think he's too risky and you don't want to play that game, you could value him at the bottom of that tier. So value him below Andy Rodriguez, Pete Crow Armstrong. But I I think it'd be a mistake to value him any lower than that. Uh, Then I think – you have another tier from 45 to 69. So Cam Collier to Jordan Westberg. And then from 70 to 109 is another tier for me. Um, Mason Wynn to Tanner Bibby. And there, there's a Tanner Bibby reference. So like, if you think I'm way too low on Tanner Bibby, I'm saying he's in the same tier as a player I've ranked 70th. So, Feel free to value Bibby as high as 70th. And then after 109, the tiers just get really big. You know, we're talking like 70, 100, 120 player tiers, that type of thing. So the the rankings are they're fluid and they should be interpreted by by you. Like you shouldn't be just straight down the rankings. Um, the goal is for them to just be a very useful tool. J ship D did Aaron Zavala fall mostly due to injury. Um, the injury actually wasn't as big of a deal as sort of the troubling um, passivity power metrics under the hood with, with Zavala of the Rangers. He's extremely passive and he just doesn't have enough juice in the bat. I think to hit for enough power 
given that passivity, like, you know, he's, he's probably a left fielder. Um, and so, you know, for fantasy, we already don't love it when a guy is super passive at the plate because it, it suppresses counting stats. But I worry about it for him. You know, I already said, like, I think Dustin Harris is their left fielder of the future. Like, he he's going to have to be an impact bat to, to kind of get into that lineup, I think. So I just I kind of worry about the combination of, you know, if he, if he swung um, significantly more, he could maybe hit for enough power to, to profile out there, but it, something's going to have to change for Zabala. And like, I, I compare him to a guy like Nolan Jones. Uh, like what's Zabala necessarily better at than Nolan Jones um, and Jones is basically big league ready. So I thought putting him down there, I thought made sense. Uh, oh, maybe the most important question of the pod, a non-baseball question. Explorer, uh, did you take the Goose photo on your Twitter profile? Uh, Goose, by the way, uh, band of the year, uh, hottest band in the country right now. Um, in a way, yes. I screen grabbed that from a YouTube video of their Peach Fest set in uh, 2002, which is uh, one of the their many shows up on YouTube. Um, I think that the Peach Fest's Peach Fest set is probably my favorite set of theirs. Uh, it would have been way cooler if I did take the photo and I was I was backstage. Uh, that would have been cool. Um, I'm going to go see them for the first time in, in April, uh, but I probably won't be close enough to get a photo that is Twitter worthy. All right. Clown fish are clowns. When do you think Uri Perez comes up and what's his ceiling? Uh, ceiling is, you know, an ace. Uh, I think those, that those top four pitchers all have the upside to be top 10 fantasy pitchers. And I think anything's on the table with Perez. Uh, assuming, assuming there's a spot for him, I think we could see him early 2023. The thing is, they they it seems like they need to make a trade. Um, I mean, you can't have my guy Braxton Garrett opening in the AAA rotation. So I think they need to clear a spot. Uh, but if they if there's a spot for Perez and he's healthy, I think we could see him, uh, you know, June, July, something like that. Um, I bet you that, you know, we've got Andrew Painter, Grayson Rodriguez, uh, Uri Perez, Ricky Tiedemann. Those might be like four of my favorite players to watch in spring training because I just think at least a couple of them are just going to shove and make it hard for their teams to, to leave spring training without them. Um, just we're talking about, you know, the four best pitching prospects in the game. And I think they're all closer to having success in the majors than um, you might think based on their ages. Uh, Bling dome piece. Why did you drop Carlos Colmenares to three ninety nine? Uh, yeah. Um, I just couldn't really find a good reason to keep him in the top 400 other than his pedigree. Uh, I think I even took him in one of those prospect mocks. Um, they do those prospect mocks. Like I love those guys like Welsh and, 
uh, tool shed guys and everyone like I, I wish I would love to do a prospect mock that started in like on like January 1st because there's just so much I would do differently because um, I'm like very early in my crafting the top 400 stages when we do those. So they're, they're very helpful, but um, you know, Coleman Ares, he's not, he's, he's a better hitter than Wilman Diaz right now, but he's got to hit for power, man. I mean that, you know, got to, he's got to at least have show signs of having like above average power, uh, which he, he didn't do last year. Uh, Russ Hinnon, are you nervous about Matt Mervis? No real move, despite the Cubs clearly signing multiple guys to block him. Well, I'm not nervous about Mervis at all in Dynasty. I am a little nervous about the two NFBC Gladiator leagues I took him in. Uh, that that could be a, a nervous situation. Um, but, and, I, and I'm not sure if your phrasing here was like exactly how you meant it to come across, but, you know, the Cubs did not sign Trey Mancini and Eric Hosmer to block Matt Mervis. Like that wasn't their, their intention wasn't to block Matt Mervis. I think with Eric Hosmer, you know, there's basically no, there's no risk there. Like that was for the minimum, basically uh, get a veteran in the clubhouse. Uh, Trey Mancini, I'm guessing, you know, based on the point in the calendar when he signed, like they just sort of had a number where they were like, this is the price on Mancini. And that number might've been out there for weeks and he couldn't find a better offer and he took it. Uh, but I just, you know, I don't think like if Matt Mervis was good, those guys aren't blocking him. So I think if you liked Matt Mervis in dynasty entering the off season, it's illogical to me to be lower on him now because a team signed Eric Hosmer and Trey Mancini who were worth 1.2 wins by replacement combined last year. Um, if you were, if you're skeptical of Matt Mervis entering the off season, this is more ammunition for you to keep being skeptical. But I just think it's like, I have faith in my evaluation of Mervis that he's going to be a, a good big league first baseman uh, offensively. And, uh so, I mean, I'm lower on him now in just a redraft league, uh, especially like a fab league, because there is now it's it's definitely on the table that he doesn't break camp with the big club. Uh, but he might be just a really good bargain now in draft and hold leagues because he's just like I. <laughs> I think Matt Mervis hits more home runs this season than Eric Hosmer. And. If they if the playing time is equal, I'll say it's more than Trey Mancini. Um, yeah, I'd probably take Mancini for more homers than Mervis, just based on plate appearances. But um, yeah, I think it's a good time to trade for Matt Mervis right now. Uh, Steve G, did Mason win get the dreaded double down arrows because of something he did, or because others jumped him? Uh, I've I've reevaluated Mason Wynn's power potential. Um, you know, I used to think he could be a twenty homer guy someday because of the bat speed. I just don't I don't get that vibe anymore uh, from him. So, still a, a good real life prospect. Obviously, you know about the speed, you know about the arm. Um, but 
you know, he might might be kind of looking like a like a Colton Wong type of fantasy guy if it all comes together, um, which is which is fine. But I just I used to think that there was sort of five category uh, potential with win, and and I just don't see that same power potential there anymore. All right, uh, we're at uh, an hour and forty. All right, that was a long one. Uh, really appreciate you guys uh, listening to this one and appreciate all the great questions. Again, the top 400 prospect rankings are fully updated. Uh, check those out. Um, you can still ask me questions that didn't make the show. I'm going to post an article version of this. Uh, by the time you're listening to this, that, that'll be up on the site. Ask me more questions there. Ask me questions on Twitter if you want. Uh, got a really fun uh, show next week. Uh, first year player draft themed episode, but I'm going to try something new with that one. I think you'll like it. Uh, but anyway, thanks for listening. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.